0: Gentlemen, this stage is set. The mics are on. It's not another fight cast time. With your hosts, fighting out of the blue corner, this man is a former fighter. The voice of Brave Combat Federation and Clan Wars MMA, the great and powerful Phil Campbell. Fighting out of the red corner, this man is a former fighter and now one of the best coaches in mixed martial arts. The one and only...
1: Andy the Icon Burroughs, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Not Another Fight Cast. Again, I'm flying solo. This is Andy the Icon Burroughs. My co host, Mr. Phil the Joker Campbell, is now jet setting his way halfway across the planet. Again, if you believe it's a planet for all you flat earthers out there, I'm talking directly to you, Johnny Burroughs. But here we are, um, again. So today, I'm actually not alone, which is a good thing for all the listeners out there. I am with a personal friend of mine, a former mixed martial artist. and one of Northern Ireland, if not Ireland's, most successful personal trainers and fitness coaches. and one of the guys who knows one of the most about nutrition I've ever spoken to in my life. He's one of my very, very good friends. And I would like him to welcome to the show here today, Diamond Dan abral Dan, how on earth are you? Good, man. Glad to eventually get you on the show. We spoke about this for... Months and months and months now, maybe even close to a year, about you coming on the show to talk about this. So, obviously, it's a combat sports show, okay? And you and I met through combat sports a long time ago. So, let's give people who are going to listen to this an insight into why you get into combat sports and your first foray into combat sports.
0: All right, so um, it's only over the last couple of years that I've been able to work out why. I get into fighting and obviously now as I'm a bit older, I see it's a common narrative for a lot of young men and that um, I was fighting because of a skirt. So like I'll give you a bit of a back, bit of background. I grew up in North Belfast, um, late eighties, early nineties, and it's real volatile area at that time. Um the thing with me is, is like my dad was a pastor, so I never really felt like I belonged. Outside in society, with what was going on, and that left me feeling very isolated. So, you know, I got a bit of a hard time when I was young, and you, you know, I had
1: to learn fight. Yeah, that's that that's that, mm-hmm. that simple. Like so, um when you say you had to learn how to fight did you mean you had to learn physically how to fight or were you learning how to fight physically to cover up something else like some inadequacy in life i I can genuinely tell you i took up combat sports because i really liked the idea of combat sports but i didn't think as a person i had that in me um and i was kind of covering up a lot of inadequacies for me as a person i always looked at it and gone that's for a tough guy to do that's not for me but when i went and did it i realized that it's something that we can all do, really. Update whatever level. Was that the case with you, or did you just say, "Screw it, I need to fight"? I live in North Belfast.
0: Yeah, man, like uh, it's a totally different journey. I was a, like I had, I had a real happy childhood. I grew up in a house of love, like mm. so. I the furthest thing from a fighter whenever I was young, um, but like I said, the area that I grew up in, you know, you had to be able to handle yourself. So the first club that I went to, that was the first night I met you, you mm. were there, was at Chum Sud. And uh, I walked in, and the structure with a couple of weeks was like um, there was like a Wing Chun class, and then mm-hmm. a little bit of striking for MMA, and then a little bit of like free rolling. So that was the structure. And then um, I kept coming to like the Wing Chun class at the beginning. And like after a couple of weeks, I went, This isn't for me. I'm going to get murdered if I try this shit in the street. Like, so I sort of just left that and
1: turned up to the mm-hmm.
0: MMA classes then.
1: Yeah. So the, the Chum Saw class that we talked about, that was, it was at the. F- in, that was in Lisburn at the time, wasn't that it?
0: That was in... Uh, Mary uh, Street. Yeah. In, like the tiny club. The, I
1: walked in, there was like six years that night. Yeah, that was... You, your
0: brother, Patty, Tom and...
1: Uh, George Duncan. And Colin McKay. And Colin McKay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was it. That's just how long ago and that uh, was. That's a, that's a very long time ago. So that was obviously a long time ago. And Chumsot, um for anybody who doesn't know, up was created by Mr. Tom Lamont, who still has a club up in Lisburn now. He's affiliated with... Uh, I think it's uh, Eric Paulson's class now. So um that's this is going back a number of years so you made your way from north belfast historically difficult place in northern ireland for any person to live or grow up and still to this day it still has quite a stigma attached to it from in my opinion for a lot of the wrong reasons but also it's it's such a tough tough area and it produces some really really nice human beings and plus great fighters so you came there and you made your way to lisbon what was the next step um competing wise so you 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 went to the classes and then you just did you automatically know you wanted to fight or yeah I did but it was now that okay so
0: back then I think I wanted to fight because I was trying to prove to everybody else you know I do this Mm -hmm. don't mess with me yeah that's the reasons that I was doing them When I first mm-hmm. started You know If you have that reputation If you fight MMA was so new It was in its infancy There wasn't yeah. too many people doing it You know And the reason that like I started doing MMA Is because there were no There was nothing else really around at the time There was like The only boxer that I remember growing up Was Wayne McCulloch And I think yeah. Wayne's like 10 years older than me Right Probably yeah Maybe yeah. a wee bit more A wee bit more um, And then Carl Frampton mm-hmm. He's about my age A couple of school years younger I think mm-hmm. You know So look at the difference in the generation there of who you had to look up to at that time yeah. you know so boxing wasn't what it is now like boxing's definitely on a revival it's in Northern massive Ireland revival, you know? massive revival massive um, revival some very very talented fighters mm-hmm. especially in the North Belfast area you look at Bruce. Ram Burnett
1: sadly very quick Not soon he, well he's only recently retired but Ram was a, a phenomenal talent Carl phenomenal Carl, yeah. talent and then you had close as well Paddy Barnes Cliffordville right. area. or you mean it's all the same area man. man like we all <coughs> lived within what is that that's like a, like a three Radius, yeah, yeah, you know, and then Wayne, you're talking about Wayne. Wayne is from Highfield, I which isn't not that further away nah. again. Maybe another portion of the three mile radius, so it just shows you what sort of area that that can produce such yeah. great great fighters, so and great boxers. And then you decided early on, yes. Yeah, I seen
0: Tom Mont uh, TV, and they were talking about like this knuckle Competition that he had fought in, and like this is how I get in there I phoned UTV and asked him for his number. I said, I'm Can praying. I have this guy's number? and then phoned him, and he said, Yeah, sure, come up. And then that was the night mm-hmm. that I met you. But at that time, there was only uh, Chum Sutton EFR, yeah, David Patterson. Patterson, and Rodney was still with David. Rodney didn't yeah. even have his own gym, that's right. Um, John Kavanagh yeah. down in Dublin, pretty much we were traveling down there to do a uh, submission. Grappling mm-hmm. tournaments and one more in Dungannon, Can't remember the name. Emmett McNally's Emmett please. Yeah, and that's it, man. Uh, literally every See, podcast. back seventeen years. There was four gyms, four MMA gyms, in Northern Ireland. And probably about well, everybody fought everybody nearly yeah. twice. So there was like you maybe were, a handful of fighters. Just there wasn't that many people. There wasn't that, that many.
1: Literally every podcast we've mentioned, David Patterson. Yeah, like he's like the, the legend. sea that every river <laughs> of MMA in Ireland yeah. runs into. He. He's just one of the coolest guys out there and everybody who's anybody in MMA probably across Great Britain will know who Davy Patterson is. But that's, it's just funny that we all, every, every podcast, somebody goes, oh, oh, I was with Davies," And I was like, okay, yeah. Well, that's all there was. And that's all there was then. So, but then from then on, how how did you find, did you do any other sport before? I was a good football player. Yeah. I played soccer right through school, played soccer outside school as well.
0: Um, only played until I was 16, and then 16, 18, just trying to find my way a wee bit, and then got into MMA.
1: Yeah.
0: And, like, it did the door to so many things for me, and it gave me a bit of, like, focus in my life. It gave me a lot of focus in my life at the mm-hmm. time, you know. Fighting kept me in the street and narrow all through my, my early 20s, mm-hmm. you know. Do you think fighting gave you discipline, or did you have discipline before you fought? Now that I'm a bit older, I see now that whenever I'm focused on something, I'm all or nothing. Mm-hmm. I now understand that that's not the best of traits but um, now the discipline discipline grows I think out of passion mm-hmm. you know when you want something and you're passionate about it you're willing to put the work in and like at the end of the day discipline is just putting the work in
1: yeah you know because I spoke to Gary Hamill about this on the uh-huh. podcast and Gary says that he believed that fighting gave him discipline and I thought it was different from that in my view it was different my view is very similar to yours and if you want something you're going to be disciplined enough to work hard to get it and that's how I viewed it, you know. Guy says no. Without the without the structure of the kickboxing club as it was for him, then mm-hmm. he wouldn't have been as happy where he was. He wouldn't be where he is. Yeah.
0: You know? I think different strokes, different. Yeah. Points, like, you know, I'm sure there's probably sure it crosses over mm-hmm. more than there's you somewhere. Think. A, yeah. There's
1: definitely some meat in the middle there, hundred percent. No, that that's really interesting. So then you decided from that moment when you you hit the MMA club, you went. I definitely want to have a go at this. I want to want to see what this is actually like to compete. Yeah, I think it's like the same as anything. You want to test
0: yourself. It's mm-hmm. so cheesy. I used to hear that at the beginning. Like, what are these guys talking about? Mm-hmm. You want to test yourself, like, and I think not. For me, it was all about proving to other people. It was all for external reasons. Yeah. I was fighting in the beginning for external reasons, and mm-hmm. as my career grew, then obviously it was more about my
1: myself. Mm-hmm. You know, um. When you say external, what do you mean by external reasons? It's all to prove to other people. Yeah. You know, so, would you. If I was all
0: like, trying to build a <laughs> reputation and to build an identity
1: and yeah. try and give your life some meaning. Yeah. I think I've used the term identity virtually, I'd say, in every interview with people. Yeah. Starting with Paul Murray, Danny Cor, Andy, all, everybody we've talked about identity. And I specifically target this towards a young male identity in Northern Ireland because I think there is like a gulf in identity for young males specifically in Northern Ireland. And I think that's one of the reasons why I fought and one of the reasons why I trained and competed. But it's nice to see that somebody else will say, use the term identity, unprompted. 100%. Like, like if you really want to go into this, I'll,
0: I'll go deep with this. Like, Totally, 100%. Like, yeah. Um. So here's my whole interpretation of it. And this is probably... Like there's a lot of lost souls in Belfast at the moment, especially young men. Everybody knows that. I'm not going to go deep into the whole suicide things, but mm-hmm. we're all very aware that the suicide rate is very high. Tremendously high for young men over From here. America. And you know, I think like again, with not going not going into politics or not going into the religion side of things. 15 years ago when I was growing up in North Belfast you were on one side or the other yeah and if you grew up with that mentality that this is what you had to believe in then that's what you had to believe in makes sense Mm -hmm. it gave you a purpose a reason some type of identity or something to attach
1: meaning to does that make sense yeah totally it's like it's like it's like being a member of a club Correct. literally like being a member of a club so
0: that's sort of so like i say this is where i feel like you know maybe my message will resonate a little bit now i was like i didn't feel like i belonged to either side mm-hmm. Makes sense so i had nothing does that make sense yeah so like i was really lost and then i started to tell these stories and construct these unsupported beliefs in my head it's like you know i have nothing in common with my parents they're christian people they're mm-hmm. telling me to live a life that doesn't work it looks like it doesn't work to me, based on what I'm seeing happening over the garden gate. Yeah, makes sense. So my, what was going on in my head was complete two conflicting interpretations of the world from mm. when I was five
1: years old. That's a very small world at that point. Very small, small world. Small word. Makes
0: sense. So then you know you're you're looking outside, and I'm like, okay, well who who, who within the community is getting like what I thought was respect it was back respect. then, but it's obviously fear and intimidation. You know, so these are like. Paramilitaries You know Guys with a reputation They were violent They could fight They They had the money They had the girls They had the cars Mm -hmm. Exactly And being like 11 years old Third generation Indian immigrant In North Belfast I was like Well fuck this I'll (laughs) learn to fight Let's get it And then I'll get all this stuff So Mm -hmm. like I said It was all existential I was looking outside At what everybody else Mm -hmm. had And trying to imitate What they had Thinking that That was going to make me Feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. So the whole play Came off The identity of this fighter Okay. Well, now I'm fighting kids. Now I'm doing nightclub doors, you know. And then eventually, you know, you start to live in the identity that you create. The condition yeah. that uh, you're, you're until you become woke and you're you become aware that you have the power to control your thoughts and deconstruct any unsupportive beliefs. Mm-hmm. And you're the architect. You're the architect of your own thoughts to create the beliefs mm-hmm. that you need in order to live into the life that you want. You're gonna run around in a hypnotic
1: state. Totally. And I basically done that when <clears throat> I was 25. See, see what you've just said there? I had the conversation with a girl last night in the boxing club about this. And it's about people living their nickname. Yeah. And what you have just described is the same thing I described to this girl. I said whenever people start to give themselves a nickname, don't be put off by that. They're living an act. It's 100%. a role. They're playing a role. So, you know, you are you. They are them. They might want to put on this facade and, and put on a mask <clears throat> that they're gonna try and play up to. It's exactly what you've just discussed there. Only a very larger level, what you're describing is a vast big level about that. It took me a long time to work but out what, what it's a very difficult thing to see. Yeah. And it took it took me it took me years. It took me maybe a decade to see what yeah. you're talking about now. Cause I think you and I we discuss a lot of these things when we're not here, when we're in the gym talking nonsense. And uh, I've come to the same conclusions as you but it probably took me a lot longer to come to those conclusions than it's taken you. I think you made those decisions and you made those very quick judgments and you were able to obviously as you, you described it or deconstruct what was going on and become awakened by it, it took me a long time but i think you're you're definitely there now yeah. you know you can see things differently so once you you described the external influences and identity maybe not an identity crisis but searching for a specific identity you then obviously you've joined Up MMA as it was then um you've now made the decision you're going to compete in mixed martial arts what was the first step you took the to competition? What was the first step?
0: Uh, probably a couple of open mats with shin mm-hmm. guards, head guards. Yeah. No head shots, body shots only. Mm-hmm. Man, see those first 30 fights, like, you sort of knew you weren't going to get hurt. No. You know? so, like, I tore through everybody. He was just going a million miles an hour fighting like a Tasmanian devil, you know, mm-hmm. and that style of fighting intrigues people, you know, mm-hmm. like, we were getting taught all these locks and chokes, you know, platters all these fancy grappling moves and asking in just swinging for the fences every time, like, you know, <laughs> Daniel, it's grappling, turning to shit. <laughs> um, and then into the, some uh, semi-pro fights and mm-hmm. in, in the, in the pro, pro ranks pretty quickly, like. Yeah. There looking back long. on it, I was thinking about this last night. It's like, I don't spend a lot of time looking back anymore at all. You know, I've lived there for so fucking long. I just try and continually keep myself enrolled in the vision that I have for my future and very rarely look back. But I was thinking last night, like, about, you know, I was fine 10 years. You yeah. Know? I had my first fight at 18, stopped fighting at 25. I said like eight years. Yeah. Fought all around the world, amateur level, semi pro, pro, and said some crackers, like, and I was just smiling all last night. Like, you know, it was insane. Like, no one I was coming
1: to, no one I was coming to obviously to do the podcast with you today, I was out walking the dog. this one of my therapy dog, a wonderful little creature. Um, and I was out walking. I was literally reliving some of your fights in my head, yeah. It sounds mental, but the one that um, we'll, we'll definitely talk about this a bit more because we want to go yeah. back, uh, but I feel I need to go forward to come back. Yeah. One of the, the fight that is literally ingrained in my head with you is Greg Loughran. Yeah. And for anybody who doesn't know who Greg Loughran is, go and get YouTube, go and find out what the internet is. Greg Loughran is simply one of the most, if not the most talented fighter ever to come out of Ireland. He is one of the most, just a fantastic finisher and a, one of the world's nicest creatures as well. A really lovely human being. But your fight with Greg Loughran to me was ingrained in my mind. What was this that like? This is so funny. I was speaking to Greg on Saturday night. There you go. Yeah, he
0: still does. He does, he does yes. Uh,
1: he works security in the town. Mm-hmm.
0: And he's such a nice guy. Like, I, have a good, really? I have a good relationship with Greg. Mm-hmm. Like, um, we chat to him now and again on social media as well. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm going to tell you, there, it's interesting that you, you talk about that fight because there's two fights in my whole career there were the two pivotal moments of mm-hmm. why I fought my why I stopped and Greg was one of them. Mm-hmm. So like I said, now that I'm a bit older, I realised I was fighting because I was scared, you know, and I wanted to prove to myself, you know, this was the whole thing. It was knowing that you could handle yourself. I wanted to know that I have that fight or flight mentality. Everybody's a hard man, you know, on the street or growing up, growing up thinking you are, but you all know deep down, you know, can I really handle this if like this gets to the nitty gritty and I'm jumped by four fellas. Yeah, And, and it had been, had, I've been clipped a couple of times, like, you know. Um, and I think that's what it was all about. It was like, I was fighting to prove to myself that if I was on the receiving end of a kicking, would I be able to fight my way out? Yeah, or would, you, would you quit? Would There's you give so up? Many, would you quit, exactly. Mm-hmm. There's so many MMA fighters out there, you know. Good when they're winning, you know, and like... It's nice being a hammer, but it's shit when you're yeah, the nail. I've come back from a couple of terrible howdy's, like, <laughs> in in the, in the ring, you know, and, you know. And that's sort of what I, I was looking for the whole time. But anyway, the locker room fight was... Um, my understanding of this is I actually have it in a, a, a magazine somewhere. It's mm-hmm. like, it was like just a spectacular one-round war. It was mental. And I'm pretty certain that that was the most viewed fight in the UK or certainly in Ireland until the UFC came to Ireland, mm-hmm. which was when Big C fought. Yeah, Eddie, that's right. What do you call him?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so anyway, that fight, um, after that fight, so if you haven't seen it like, I think... It has to be a bodies dropping all over it's the place. Like, and yeah.
1: Insane. The first 25 seconds of that fight, you'd land the left hook and put him down, yes, I think. Me, yeah. And I remember I was in the crowd and I just went, oh my God, It me. just was stunned, like deathly silence. And then to see Greg come back like a zombie, like r- raised from the yeah. dead. That left hook would have put 99% of Easy. people out. Easy. Easy. And Easy. I thought he was out. I thought he was gone.
0: I think, I, I need to go back and check this, like, but I'm pretty certain he was out. And then when he hit the ground, I had him again and he come back round and I remember when he come back round and I went, fuck, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and he just sat up. He uh, sat up like the undertaker But anyway, after that fight, like a lot of people said to me after, you know, that fight should have been stopped, that fight should have been, should've been mm-hmm. stopped, you know. And then i had all oh, this bullshit from everybody else yeah. and that's, I understand that, you know, mm. you know, corner man was, or Stevie show and like Eden was a referee and if mm-hmm. it was anywhere else it would have been stopped. And see, very quietly, I never said a thing because mm-hmm. inside I knew, I mean, I hit him with everything I had. And yeah. uh, like, there was, I had nothing left after that, you know, no. the longer that fight was going to go on anyway, probably would have took mm. the heart out of me, you know, because did, I mean, I'd knocked out people with less. Yeah. You know, and
1: like literally, if you haven't seen that folks, please go and search YouTube for Dan Abroad, um, Greg Locker and fight. What an awesome Awesome one round war, like literally, it had everything in it. So, please, if you haven't seen it, go and go and watch it. And it, it is a testament to what Dan said about knowing that you can fight your way through terrible adversity on both sides, both Greg and Dan. What a show! Like, I'm so like, fight. after
0: that fight, like, this is what I took away from that fight. I'm not kidding you. I sat out the back after that fight, and what was going through my head is, is like. I want to be, I want to be able to prove to myself what Greg done because I knew what I'd hit him with. And I was like, like, I knew that would have kept many a man down. And I wanted to know, was I, did I have that type of heart within me yeah. to be able to come back from that? And that sort of leads me nicely then to where well, I'm able to pinpoint now where my career was done. Mm. So I actually had two fights then before I broke my neck. And then that's mm-hmm. obviously whenever I walked away from fighting.
1: Which is understandable that anybody would walk away from fighting after having a broken yeah, neck. Yeah,
0: the, but the whole thing about this is I think a lot of people think that it was the injury that stopped me fighting. It wasn't. I was just done, man. I was mm-hmm. 25 years old. I was supposed to trial out for the Ultimate Fighter. Tapped out. Can't remember who it was. I think it was one of the SBG boys in under mm-hmm. at the trials. They never took me to there, um, to the UFC. We was supposed to fight Norman Park, actually. That's who mm-hmm. I was training for, I think or oh, there was talk about me fighting Norman anyway um, and um now KSW champ Norman Park yes but you're back there I think I was going to be on TV show I think um, but anyway I fought Dominic McConnell
1: mm-hmm. great fight again
0: cracking fight so basically like McConnell
1: <laughs> he battered me for four and a half minutes John McConnell now BKB fighter as yes, well yes
0: yeah yeah Um, he hits very hard and uh, I think, you know, I beat him like a minute back in the clock and mm-hmm. that's probably the closest I got. Big C was right from that fight and he come up with me, he says, Daniel, I, I was so close to stopping that fight three times. And then I fought twice after that one, another one, knocked out um, a Brazilian in Ladder County, and then fought that guy Pennington from the States, mm-hmm. lost that one. And then I was done, you know, I broke my neck, recovered from that injury, and tore my shoulder, it was in a sling, so it was in a neck collar and a sling for the best part of 18 months, I yeah. think. And then I kept trying to get back into it, but I couldn't get back into it. And it was only like once it settled down the line, I was able to look back and go, I was done in that McConnell fight. Yeah. Because that was the fight that proved to me that, that you could do what you that wanted I to could do. come back in the way that I was looking for when I fought Greg. Yeah. Makes sense. So it's so funny how the, the, the journey goes. It's <laughs> Literally. Like, Be careful what you wish for because you're going to get it someday. The you Dominic know? McConnell <laughs>
1: fight, you basically became Greg Lockhart in that fight. I, yeah. The yeah. roads were just completely just, reversed, Like back to front. Yeah. yeah. But again, another. Awesome fight Dominic Hall One hard hard yeah. bastard as well Like yeah. properly hard man As I said Now fights for Bare knuckle boxing In England That's Just right. a tough tough dude And a cracking fighter too yeah. Like no Don't take anything away from people Just cause Sometimes people It's like giving somebody A backhanded compliment To say they're tough but he's a no, tough guy and a great, fighter, <laughs> a great fighter, you know? Team. Whereas I, I view you the same in that respect, like knowing how much of a tough guy you are, knowing because I've trained with you, knowing because I see how physically fit you are, knowing what you did to come back from a lot of injury problems and a lot of tough times, and also to go through fights like Greg Locker and Dominic McConnell, yeah. which people will, you know, and until you see those fights... You won't really appreciate it. You really
0: appreciate <clears throat> the, the McConnell fight is anybody who's MMA because there was nothing pretty about that. It was just tough. My knee popped in like the first 30 seconds. I come out with a couple of bad injuries from that fight, like a couple of, couple of niggling injuries. Mm-hmm. And like it was just gritty. It was just like just getting pulled from pillar to post for like mm. five minutes straight you know it's it awesome. wasn't like the most aesthetically pleasing mm-hmm. but it was a proper scrap and leg. I think if
1: you fought and you see that fight you'll appreciate, yeah, you appreciate what the exactly that's through. what I'm saying yeah, yeah exactly because some, there's sometimes you know people describe these things as industry fights in boxing oh it's an industry fight where boxers or boxing coaches or trainers will look at that fight and go what a finish yeah exactly or, what a
0: participants good, if you compete in yes. the sport and you watch that
1: you're an insider looking out rather than an outsider looking in um, but anybody could enjoy that fight yeah. I think I don't think and again, that ultimately we're fighting is the entertainment industry, yeah. it is the entertainment industry. And I said it last week when I was on with Jack and that fighting the entertainment industry and it's a popularity yeah. contest, yeah. it is a popularity contest.
0: You sell tickets, man, you're going, yeah, and, fights.
1: and that's it. And mm-hmm. you, I think you were able to transcend that ultimately,
0: yeah. My like my favorite fight was my first pro fight in the King's sorry, second. I so fought Greg first, mm-hmm. and then I fought this Dutch guy. And I hit the King's all your brother was commentating, and he says the noise in here is definite, and whoever he was commentating with. That guy Billy
1: It was
0: Billy um from Lauren Boxer. It
1: what it was uh oh, what do you call him? Oh, I'm gonna have to google him. You know what I mean? Yes I do. So Johnny's sitting shouting to me. he says, mm-hmm. Can
0: you hear me? Can you hear me? This is in the car." Yeah. So that was my first first profile in Belf- uh, Belfast, like in a big show, it was Cage Wars. Kings Hall Mm -hmm. I was 21 years old I sold
1: 300 tickets it's crazy there's people now like it would struggle to sell 50s tickets and you're selling 300 300 tickets it's crazy I was getting
0: a five or a pop as well I got a good turn that night as well
1: (laughs) but you know that's what people don't really look at sometimes and they don't see the outside of what you you know guys and girls go to watch fights and they see the two uh, compatons in the ring hitting each other or grappling or doing whatever They don't see the outside of that. I mean, you had to work. I had to work to get those tickets. Balls off! To get rid of three hundred tickets, plus do your training, plus work on your nutrition, plus work on everything else. I was working in a job at the time. Yeah, plus also Mm -hmm. deal with the the pre fight anxiety and nerves. Come on, with everybody in combat sport, three hundred tickets for the King's Halls, a ridiculous Uh, return. I remember that show as well. It was was a Sunday. It was a Sunday show, wasn't it? That was the. Madness of a Sunday. That was show. the start,
0: man. Of MMA really starting to climb. The
1: then it was, and Over then here. a lot of things came off the back of Cage Wars. Um, if you, if you don't know what Cage Wars is, really get some um, Google. Cage Wars was the first ever show in Great Britain that um had a cage, ultimately hence the name. Um, I was run from well from Belfast ultimately Um, the first ever cage show in Great Britain was, was in Portsmouth and then obviously the cage was transported back to Ireland in general and in the north and then in the south but a, a bigger and better cage was then created for that show I think it was the first show with the new cage in the yeah, Kings Hall right. Um, and it was an awesome awesome show with some cracking fights on it that, that being one of them um, I can't remember the guy's name. Are you there you go. That's right. Flip me. That was, he was one of Martins, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, some
0: Golden Glory boys. Golden so I ended glory, up uh, going to Holland for a few months and training out there. How
1: did Holland, how did Holland come about? How did you end up in Holland?
0: Uh, it was connection through Martin de Jong. Mm-hmm. So he was coming over and taking seminars with Alistair. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy just got on really, really well with Martin. Yeah. And I think he went with me first time. The Chris go over Peter Dunk, Peter Duncan, Chris no, I through. never went. I don't... No, Chris went to Cabon, I think. Or maybe that was just after. I think it was me and Peter went mm-hmm. to Holland. I me mean and Keith, Colin. Colin. Um, the train. But that was a real good experience yeah. there as well. Yeah. I'll tell you a story about that. So we the we were training, they, so the, those guys over there in Golden Glory, they um are Ty Hudson, Dojo, Martins. Yeah. They travel around sort of like three different places that they train in. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we go in this day and I think me and Peter were there, CR was in training, Alistair, um, mm-hmm. Saki maybe, can't remember, a load
1: of heavy hitters, and, um, Alistair was a middleweight then, do you remember Alistair is a middleweight? Is, right? Skinny Alistair uh, is a middleweight, he's fighting heavyweight this weekend, against Rosenstrike. So, we're in,
0: and like, they're talking in Dutch, and like, partnering up, and you're mm-hmm. sort of getting a, the, an idea, of what are we doing, we're doing some rolling, mm-hmm. so Martin says to me, uh, Daniel, this guy here, you know, he's a new guy as well, I thought, cool, you know, I'll roll, roll him, at mm-hmm. the back, so you know this this role or whatever, and this guy just cracks me. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then he's like coming at me a million miles an hour, and I'm like, I'm in Holland here. These guys don't understand me. Everybody's speaking Dutch, and at the back of this room here, this guy's trying to fucking maul me. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not actually training here. I'm in a fight in, in some loft in Holland. <laughs> and like, yeah, that was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> some of the Holland and fought in the back of like <laughs> some <laughs> room nobody will ever know. <laughs>
1: You could have been killed. And just yeah, I mean, I had the triangle and nearly put him unconscious just to get him to calm down. That's crazy, but again, that just shows you at that point what level and what degree you were going to to try and improve. You know, yeah, and that's how it. seriously you were taking. Like not very. And to get MMA coaching and training. Then yes, there was some good guys. We all talk about Davy. There was Tom. There was Colin. There was all the other guys there at that point. But then to, to travel or to to learn, you had to travel. or You had to bring the people here. And I mean that was probably one of the best. How long did you spend in Holland? I can't remember. We've done two trips. Yeah. So over when you were in Holland, obviously Martin De Jong. I Martin De Jong, he's still active as a coach um, as well. You talk about Alister yeah. over him as well. Probably one of the greatest strikers ever to walk yeah. the planet. Again in both K1 and MMA. Um, who was the other guys that were there? But ba- yeah, Bahar Desarre. Yeah, he's now a UFC fighter as well. Not I think. Sure. Yeah, he is. He's fighting the UFC now. Um, so he's an he's an Afghanistan guy. He, he is, that's right. yeah. He's fighting in the UFC now. So I mean, it just shows you what sort of level at that point. Yeah, they were the best fighters in the world at the time.
0: Yeah, they were the best they fighters were, in the world. That's,
1: you know, they were. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're only one generation removed from Bas Rutten yeah. at that point. That's right. Yeah, so that was part of your travelling exploits. Where else did you end up? <laughs>
0: Travelling or fighting?
1: Both. Yeah, you end up. Done,
0: I think I counted this before. I think it was nine different European countries.
1: That's crazy. Including England. Like. Switzerland was one of the ones at the time.
0: Switzerland, I never fought in Switzerland. I travelled with the guys that fought in Switzerland, um, back and forth to Holland. I think I fought four or five times in Holland.
1: Um, what was the organisation in Holland? What was that one? It was
0: Martin show. So it was called Shudo.
1: Shudo. Shudo. Shudo Europe. That's right. That was the A, B. They did the class system. Do you remember? They did. That's right. It was very, very difficult for fans to understand what the hell was going on, I thought. I thought it was a wee bit too much I had some
0: fights out there as well I was a cracker I was supposed to fight at like 70 kilos And then the, the guy never turned up And uh, there was another guy there Who was 84 And I was like to Martin I'll fight him I, I travelled the whole way yeah. and he, I'll fight him I'll fight him and, and Martin was like It's too big The weight of calories too big like, Just let me have a crack at him I'll, mm-hmm. I'll fight him Like I flew the whole way over Yeah so he says, um, okay then, and he let me fight him. And like, I got a bit of stick for this fight after this guy was like chiseled like out of marble. He was like a swimwear model. We got into a fight and his hair wasn't even out of place by the end of it. Do you know what I mean? But that was my introduction <laughs> in the understanding of fighting at higher weight. Classes aren't a good idea sometimes. Like, So Mm-mm. I was hitting this guy with everything and I just seemed to be getting tired of And he just kept walking forward and...
1: So that didn't end well for me, that one either. Like but again, experience. Experience that's yeah. brilliant and I gotta kick off it, like yeah, you know. of course everybody does. See win or lose. That's one of the other things about combat sports. Win or lose, draw, come out with a horrible injury or whatever. You do have that little I always use the term it's like a drug. It is like an injection of a drug. It is,
0: it is. Here's the difference that it doesn't last I, for too long. When I was fighting compared to a lot of fighters that fight now. So number one, my own personal journey from fighting is this. I had a lot of people telling me at the time back then. and um, I'm not mentioning names to make anybody feel uncomfortable. A lot of people saying to me, you know, you can be the best fighter to come out of this country. That was said to me by like uh, one of the top coaches over here at the time. Says you, trim me, tidy up this, you'll get there. And I heard it, but I wasn't listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then had other people flying Holland, you know. And mm-hmm. I knew I was doing well when I was fighting people here, and then I was just taking fights. But like I was just walking around, like in a hypnotized state. Fighting because I didn't have to go to work Had a bit of respect yeah. If you want to call it Had a bit of a reputation And I I Genuinely back then I just loved it You know mm-hmm. I was just fighting um, And then where it started to go for me Is like I started to lose I lost like three Three in a row And it was my grappling And that's when I realised I like I'm fighting at a higher level now And I think it was Graham Key Said and he said You need That's a street fight mentality You mm-hmm. know And I was still getting in there And he said You shouldn't be fighting with this mentality This far into your career Yeah and then the pressure started. And then I started to like tra- put pressure myself to really mm-hmm. get better. And it was all about getting better and just completely lost the enjoyment for it. And, and then that's when it became, started it, it to, start to become a job then. started to become not... a job, started to get frustrated. And then I was in Holland and Baz Rootan said to me, you know, it's like I've lost three in a row now. And he says like you need to win this next fight and you need to go and train somewhere else. Mm. And then I did win that fight. I said, knocked out that Brazilian in Letterkenny. Mm-hmm. That was like my... That was like my perfect fight. If you google that, one like they phoned they phoned here the reins this fight mm-hmm. to fight me because he was looking to get a crack into the UFC and they knew the UFC were coming to the UK at that time. And uh yeah, that was that was my highlight fight like That's he, brilliant. He, well, it was really cool because he was mm-hmm. like Brazi- he was a uh, brown belt mm-hmm. Brazilian jiu-jitsu under but, but back then a brown belt was like a wizard. He was like a wizard. Mm-hmm. And he watched the fight too. Um I wanna say Nagara, but I think I might be wrong. Maybe Carvalho. Mm-hmm. Is it just the Roberto Carvalho a Rafael Coach. Cart- uh, ah that's yeah. him Yes So I think he fought, I think he was Trained under him So he's a high, high level mm-hmm. But I just knew Like that was the one to do, You know I suppose If you look back Over your career There's You're always able To pinpoint Two, three, four—handful of fights where mm. you know you could have get in against anybody that day. On who that day. you were going to win, yep. and you could have put anybody in front of me that day. Same way, my first fight in the King's Hall, my first handful of amateur fights to win against McConnell—I knew though that day mm. I was in, I was going to win. In fact, I didn't think about anything else. So the job was done. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: No, we all had those. But then you also have conversely that I guarantee you've had that day where you went, I don't care, I, I this is just not going to end well for me. I'll tell you a cracker, I and mean, he'll laugh at this if he's watching this, Kevin Murle. Like, uh,
0: you know, there's no back doors me i'm not going to sit here and claim to be i'm a hard man i, I done i had like i was fighting because i enjoyed it i made some terrible fucking mistakes got embarrassed a few times of course but this did. is a cracker doesn't make you laugh so i was on a good tour i think two or three two or three wins I was fighting in the king's hall I was fighting danny van bergen again very friendly van with him now as well class guy
1: Jesus, another monster
0: i wait really hear this this is a cracker i'd seen him fight a load of times and knew he was a he, he was a, a high level striker and um anyway so we come walking out of the cage my arrogance is through the roof at this point like you know another 300 tickets came to mm. all everybody there to see me and i spent more time worrying about the crowd and then about the fight walked in kevin moore sitting at the at the cage and that uh, he says good luck and i winked at him and watch this here i turned around and in 30 seconds danny van bergen put me to the floor uh, um knocked me to the floor with a punch and then put me in the most beautiful rolling gator roll you've mm. ever seen in your life and that clip is now like viral <laughs> it's rolling he has and i look back and and I just looked at the cabin and just didn't even know what to say and just
1: walked back off again, you know. Uh, but that th- th- now again, like you're probably being very harsh on yourself. Danny Van Berger was an absolute monster and he was around at the same time as like Vincent Latour and yeah, stuff like that. So well. if you remember. Yeah, Vincent was another um, what do you call Raffles LaRose? Do you remember uh, Raffles? Son, uh, yeah. and, like, those were guys that were top. Those top guys there that. right? The UFC wasn't what it is now. All those guys would have been in the
0: they UFC. They would have been in the top 10 the Hansen Yo- and Raffles La Rose in uh, Galway. Galway. Was one of the best fights I've ever seen in is, my life. It is
1: literally the best fight I've ever seen. And yeah. selfishly, to me, I was like, you two fucking dicks. Because I had fought like two fights before them. Yeah. And I'd come out of that cage and I'd felt like an absolute animal. Because yeah. everybody's going, fuck, what a fight. That was an amazing yeah. fight. Fuck, it's fight of the night. Brilliant. Because a lot of the fights beforehand didn't go. They weren't as exciting as what people were thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, my fight happened. I was very, very excited. It was back and forth. And eventually, people were like, that's amazing. And then I remember coming out, sitting down with a beer, thinking, fucking look at me. I'm dog's dick. Then watched Raffles Arose and Joachim Hansen fight and going, oh my God, what on earth is this? I think it was that's like
0: the only fight I've ever watched in my life i just been silent I couldn't even like I was it was just it was
1: beautiful I'd never seen anything like it you know the flow and you think Joachim Hansen the level he went to the the level of that guy's game was frightening like he would have been I I think he could have won a UFC title
0: Joachim went to Pride did he not win the Pride Lightweight Grand Prix yeah he
1: did won the Pride Lightweight Grand Prix knocked out who was he knocked Knocked out a whole lot of people actually but he was an absolute beast I remember being in the grappling tournament with him in Sweden once And uh, he was on the same side of the draw as me. And I didn't have a clue really who he was. And eventually I got on board, I think. I got beat. And then I watched Joachim systematically dismantle the guy. (laughs) It was like a spider basically just tearing apart a fly and I'm like thank fuck I missed that because that horrendous <laughs> it was level. so horrible and then but that's that's the sort of guys that were around then and people who don't know who these guys and girls are because they're a Connor fan or they're a Ronda fan or some pish like different that different generation but it, the generation then that's the generation that built it what it is now. that is what created the generation that we have now and even, even Connors now going by the wayside when you have Masvidal who's, who's the same who's a, who's a generation two fighter in my opinion yeah. He's now have such a resurgence and people are looking back. Fuck, do you remember his fight in the backyard and one of those crazy shows? Yeah, yeah. That's what is 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 the building blocks of MMA or what are the building blocks of MMA in the world never mind now. And you to think like that you fought some of those guys. Yeah. Like Vincent Latour was a fucking monster. He was an absolute terrifying creature as well. Yeah. Really nice guy, very softly spoken guy and but oh my god, yeah. horrendous. Remember watching him fight might have been you in the King's Hall. No. No, was the it wasn't King's Hall, sorry, I, in the I Europa. I him in Holland. Was it? Oh, he fought Greg locker in the Europa. Greg Locker Smashing fight. <gasps> oh, I remember watching that. I think he stopped Greg with a head kick.
0: I think it was It was something, was it a cut? I think the fight was, was, was stopped due to a cut. And mm-hmm. I think if I remember, it was a clash of heads.
1: Right. So um, I remember being a stop, horrible stop head
0: premature, kick. Like, yeah. yeah. I
1: remember thinking that is going to be an absolute. It was a brilliant fight up yeah. until that point. There was some it was controversy a- with it. I remember that. But I, I was unsure if it was a head kick or what happened with it. But I think you might be right. So once you once you'd gone you you travel the hall and you've been in nine different European countries you competed in the denominator mixed martial artist a professional mixed martial artist you've had open mat fights you've travelled around you've met future world champs of all divisions all eras all types and you talked about meeting Baz Root and I think he told me once you met Mike Tyson in a bar that was the
0: best l- night of my life mate. so that, like I mean?
1: have you have to tell that story <laughs> I don't care you have to tell that story because it is absolutely brilliant so we went to see Rodney he was fighting
0: in that's Liber- Rodney Moore Rodney who's an MMA coach. Yeah. Head
1: coach. Rodney was fighting under Davey at the
0: time. Um, so you fuck, I don't know how long this was, maybe 15 years. Um, and uh we went over to see him fight. So Martin had Rodney Favors fighting in that. Rodney show as well. another animal. Um I don't think Alistair was fighting Alistair wasn't fighting, but it was that group anyway, so they got us tickets. We'd went over, Colin and I, and we thought we'll go and enjoy this. So we didn't mm-hmm. book a didn't book hotel, just booked the next flight home a we'll party not. all night and go through. Um, so this particular show, Terry Adams first fight in Liverpool, Mike Tyson was referee in the show, you had uh, Jackie Degg and all these PH3 girls doing the, the ring announcer, Sky had a bit of media coverage on it, it was Paul Cahoon's show. Paul Cahoon, what right. a star. Man, that day started off like with us getting the boat over and me thinking, I'm going to go and watch some fights and turned into probably the, the craziest experience of my life. Like By the end of the night, <laughs> we were walking down the street, like, me and Colin, <laughs> and then Mike Tyson, Buzz Ritten, Alistair O'Reilly, all of these legends, man. And then we were in uh, this nightclub, had a wee bit of a scuffle with some premiership footballers. Um, <laughs> man, it was just, just Fucking insane! Like, but th- th- those
1: were the insane. sort of things, like when you look back, that is a memory that you will never, never forget. That, you'll man. never, never for- forget. I remember it. actually, it was after what my that was actually that after that show in Galway where Hanson fought Raffles. We stayed up to like five o'clock in the morning. It was form. It was UFC fighters in the room were chucking Guinness over each other, and all. <laughs> it was absolutely appalling. Like <laughs> so even now, I look back on it. Suppose it was in my early twenties. It was a complete another twat fun. But it was just you know you could <clears throat> name the guys and girls who were in the room, but it, I won't because I want to embarrass anybody, especially me. Um, but it was, those are the memories that are created through combat sports. Yeah, there's, definitely. No other, there's no other sport that'll create that. No. That's what I was on. going to
0: say. It's like, this is the type of sport, like the you know, the people that you're watching and, and aspiring to be like and your idols, you're going to be in their company eventually mm-hmm. if you fight, you know. I had like, <laughs> I had half a dozen UFC fighters in my house after one of the last Cage Wars show yeah you know partying as well and like mm-hmm. uh, that was pretty funny I think it was Rich Clemente and like Rich Clemente, somebody was fucking right. about with him and was putting like DVDs on it
1: and I'm losing <laughs> so
0: we're all partying like and so like, Rich remember this fight he's like motherfucker get that off
1: <laughs> that's right Rich Clemente <laughs> fought Chris Stringer at the yeah. last minute he like Chris took that fight uh, and in fairness to Chris he actually won the first round yeah. Um, and then Rich finished him in the second I round I really didn't see the fight um, I thought Chris won the first round as far as I remember and then it just looked like Rich sort of like upped his game a wee bit realized hold on a second, this guy knows what he's doing. It was sort of like, I'll just come over here for a bit of a laugh and then he looked at Chris sort of went, all right, this guy knows how to fight and then I think he finished in the second round. Um, but that, that, there you go, it just shows you how this sport can, like you meet, as you said, your idols. You never think you're going to meet these people. These are people you've watched on DVD or seen in the instructional at that stage. Remember instructional yeah, that's right. videos? Fuck me, instructional videos. Um, and then you're actually in their company and you realise you're a normal person yeah, and they're that's it. funny and Obviously, I mean, Alistair, lovely human being. We were talking about this earlier on, how nice Alistair is, how nice all these guys are. And yet, here you were basically hanging around with them and the most creative, like the hangover. It sounds like the scene from the hangover, you sense. know, for one 24-hour period. There's
0: many, just as many memories partying as there was. Totally, as but
1: that's that's part of it to me. That was part of the culture. I and think, you think I very blessed
0: in that, you know,
1: the sport was just in its infancy.
0: Nobody knew where it was going to go, no, really, really knew. Or
1: what it was going to do. You and I had this conversation in the gym about six months ago. We didn't fucking know how this was going to end up. I watched the Tap Out documentary recently.
0: And was it Tap Out? Sorry, two documentaries. Oh, it's the Tap Out. the Mask documentary about yeah. Tap Out. And I watched Dana White, uh story recently about when they sold that UFC, that Dude, billion, that's do- right. billion dollar deal. And if you go back to when we were fighting 15 years ago, and Lorenzo had just bought the UFC Mm -hmm. I didn't realise that it was fucking running on a loss 10 million loss or
1: something crazy pop out
0: guys were still living out of their cars and Paddy would connecting to Chris Brennan and was bringing us gear back so actually at that time we were giving money to Brennan, who was giving money to... Tap Out, which was, was giving money to the UFC. giving money to the UFC, and this was all in its infancy. So we actually, over here in Ireland, thinking that we were doing nothing, watching I fucking back then, I had videos of Tito fighting Ken Shamrock. That's when I get in the VHS videos. Yeah. Pride VHS videos. Do you remember that? And um, and we actually played... A, a part in that. They had a part in it. That's oh. what I'm trying to say. As I played... The MMA was so young, so new, that over here, we were actually able to help
1: build what is, a brand,
0: build, I, yeah, uh, it, not build AFC, but build, you know, build the MMA to what it is today. It, and obviously, like we said, the guys that were in a, uh, the circle that we were in and the fighters just in general, it's like, it gets to the point where, you know, you meet the first couple of guys. I think like the, meeting Baz was pretty spectacular. I, I
1: didn't meet Baz. I never met him, but I, he is
0: literally one of my idols you know, in MMA. But everybody else then, it just became normal. Yeah. It was like, you know, you were picking up magazines it was just like people who you, who you were hanging, hanging out with, with. Yeah. You know, and like that was really fucking cool. After I watched that documentary, it was only a couple of years ago, man. Shit, man. Like, I was involved in that back yeah.
1: then. Yeah, it was weird. Um, if you haven't, folks, if you haven't seen um any of those documentaries, <laughs> I advise you to go and um find them. The Mask documentary is a special place for me and a special place for people in Irish MMA. Mask was a documentary. It was done by a guy called Bobby Razak, who also did a documentary which I was very very lucky to be in when I was a lot younger, called Rites of Passage. But Bobby dedicated Mask to my late sister-in-law and her passing a couple of years ago car crash and the premiere of the show was actually here in belfast because of that so bobby is a complete legend um and i can't thank him enough for ever doing that for me so um but mask is a cool documentary it's a bit dark but it's a bloody good documentary so advise everybody go and find that and go and watch it um so once once you you brought your fight career ultimately to a close with injury and the realization that yes you'd got what you wanted from fighting
0: 100 that's it now like again i told you it took me years to be able to work that out so i stopped fighting at 25 and then don't ever want to get into this, but you know, like, my day of 20s were very, very
1: dark. Like, Yeah. I mean, <sighs> we have touched on mental health problems in all of our podcasts, and it's not something that I shy away from. And the reason I don't shy away from it is because a person listening to this might be struggling, and they will hear Dan got through that, Jack got through that, Paul got through that. Paul Murray discussed something really fucking dark on our podcast with him, where he had planned to commit suicide. And the thing that stopped him committing suicide was a phone call from one of our mutual friends. And he, he didn't know about that phone call. Yeah, That guy didn't know about that phone call. And it, it took him, definitely. it saved his life. So I don't shy away from mental health issues. I know you had your dark times. But what I want to do is, I, won't, I definitely do want to touch on that. But we've you've you've, you've, you've finished with professional fighting. And you, you're suffering some quite deep, deep, dark issues at that moment in time. But you found a new outlet in the fitness industry, ultimately. Of course, you were always in the fitness industry as an entertainer. But you found now a new outlet into the fitness industry. So how did that come about? Yes, with the darkness and also moving out into now into a new sphere in fitness?
0: Well it's sort of all is encompassed in the mm-hmm. whole thing. So if you go back to the beginning of this conversation and why I said I get into fighting, is like I said I created consciously created this identity mm-hmm. you know of fighting. And then, you know, like I said, it was working at nightclub doors, some other stuff going on, and I just disliked the person that I'd become because mm-hmm. it was so far removed from the child that I was. Yeah. Does that make sense? So then I broke my neck, um, my shoulder. I was actually training with Jamie Crawford at the time to fight time. I was striking after that actually went through the through the roof like um I'm probably ten times a fighter I am now just because of the training I'd have done since I stopped. And the awareness. Yeah. But um anyway so that was it. Like, I just walked away from fighting. I was like, I was, I'm was, done hmm. with this. Like, I'm fucking broke. I'm 25. I'm standing at club doors. Hmm. But no, you need something no, to fill that no, vacuum.
1: No money. But I didn't see that.
0: That was the lesson. Oh, I, the the I worry, you know that. I,
1: I don't think anybody does until nah. it lands in your lap. You know,
0: so you, you've just, you've created this, like, thing for yourself. It's very similar to what, like, um... Tyson Fury said on his his podcast, you know, mm-hmm. you worked all your days to be the heavyweight champion of the world. And what, the, I just got, what, what, what then?
1: What do you do when you get it? You know,
0: so like I wasn't a heavyweight champion of the world, but it was the same concept. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, well, I'm gonna do this fighting thing, and now I'm not gonna do this fighting thing. But my whole identity was attached to it, Now I have nothing and couldn't fucking get motivated. Mm-hmm. And nobody in my life, like my own doing, you know, you know, didn't feel like a could had anybody I could speak to in society. I detached myself from my family. You know, mm-hmm. they don't understand me. I was in a great relationship And at that time You know Like The support that I had From my partner at that time Like Probably helped save my life You know mm. I had somebody I felt like I was letting her down And letting my friends down letting the people Who were trying to help me And then Just turned to drugs mm. And like Just so hard to get out of it At the time Because you're not allowing yourself Time to think You know So
1: Um, you're not really living in the moment in that scenario you know you're just I
0: see now like I can this is what excites me talking about this now you Mm -hmm. know but again a massive part of my life um, and my understanding of my place in the world and how things work all come off the back of that does Mm -hmm. that make sense yeah of course it does so it was like and again, this loops back around to what I was saying at the beginning of the conversation about you needn't have a purpose when you're a young man. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like this. I didn't want this certain level of success. So I suppose back then it was a bit of fame, you know, a better bit of success, a bit yeah, of a yeah, reputation. But, but, it was just to be her for it, like, right? Mm. And then that all went away. And I went, this actually doesn't fulfill me. So then it turned to me, like, I need money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they get the fighting things sort of. I mean, nah, I need fucking money. And um, I... Uh, there was, there was nobody in my life that it was had like a level of success in a um a legitimate way yeah that i could have turned to for advice at that time mm-hmm. yeah and i was like okay well i want a certain quality of life i want to earn this amount of money i have no skills to be able to do that yeah how Even do i get I articulated there? it back then like mm-hmm. the way i can now um so you know i didn't and then again like we said belfast a very tough city so you're growing up like Here's my interpretation of what's going on mm. in, in, in the city and how it affected me as well. So I, like I said, I grew up in North Belfast. Literally, the graffiti on the walls was. It's good to talk, you know? Yeah. There's a very insidious undertone that effectively our country doesn't work because nobody's talking. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not aware of that, every time you turn on the news, every time you pick up a paper, it's here, it's there. Of it's in it your is. Face, right? And then when you're growing up in uh, that environment, you don't want to reach out and ask for help because then it seems weak. So then you're too proud to ask for help. You start isolating yourself mm-hmm. from society. You don't know who to turn to. But and that's when people then... do,
1: turn to substances. That's exactly. what people do, turn to substances. And exactly. we see it now more with prescription medication, sadly, yep. nowadays. Um, but, you know, you, you said you had a dark place with drugs. What sort of drugs was it? Cocaine. Cocaine. So, I mean... I, you know, I we were literally talking about five minutes ago about Mike Tyson. Yeah. Um and I'm finishing his autobiography in a minute and he discusses his struggles with cocaine. And I can see something that he said in the book there about a, a supportive partner. Um, his wife at the time, he was discussing about I think he's maybe still married this girl, but he was discussing about how he it was the accountability with her 100%. that helped him remove himself from the drugs. And that's what and when he was able to remove himself from that, now obviously we know he's back on track and all that sort of stuff, but that's the sort of thing I think that would that make a uh, did that have any resonance with you? Is that what really dragged you away from that, or what was it? No, no, actually, no. no. What got you away
0: from that? Trip to the hospital. Really? Seven-day bender, no sleep. <laughs> Ended up in hospital, and I'm right, shit needs to change. now. Yeah. fucking 28, what's going on here? It was three years of just carnage. Like. Yeah,
1: but you could have been dead. That's the been. thing.
0: And, um, you know, a few lucky escapes and stuff, but, like, um... Now that I'm at the other end of it, it's like what I can see is this. I had no no reason to get up in the morning. Didn't know how I was going to get to where I wanted to go. Didn't reach out for help. Didn't ask for help. Was too proud to ask for help. But
1: you them. don't know where to look they for help. You don't know where to look. That's exactly you
0: know. it. So it's like this fighting then opened the door to personal training. Mm-hmm. Personal training opened the door to self-development. Self-development opened the door to me insert myself into the right circles that allowed me to reach out or get a support system mm-hmm. from people who could help me get to where
1: i want well, to go maybe been there before yeah definitely and there's a ha- lot of people in the fitness industry have helped me get to where i am yeah you know? i mean that's to, the other thing without like, uh, a fitness industry um it is can be quite insular and it can be kind of be a bit weird and clicky but there's also if you're in there and you ask for help there's an awful lot of good people in there definitely. especially in northern ireland we have a lot of talented fitness professionals yeah. a lot of immensely talented fitness professionals and, and in my opinion you are sitting there close to the top of that tree That. tree. If you ask for help from that person, it's going to be there and provided for you. So you moved out then into personal training. So you took in LA Fitness, but I used to work as well. So we st- started in LA Fitness and then you've now moved on. Where are you working at the minute?
0: Um so I did a little bit of PT and still in mm-hmm. DW and Boucher, but basically, um I'm working online now. Yeah. You know, I've worked very hard to <coughs> get my business to where I wanted and I've created like I find my niche. So with mm-hmm. when I was personal training, I was um Working with a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, busy professionals, mm-hmm. and um, you know, any coach with their salt knows that helping solve the problems for your client, yeah, is going to help you grow as well. So I am, um, I was able to pull this together into a program. Um, I've done a little bit of online coaching prior to this, but I've now got a structured business mm-hmm. that helps. It, Busy professional man, you know. So. Are you
1: specifically targeting men, yes. Um, and does that come from obviously we discussed it with our identities and about? Do you think that you you can maybe in in essence give those guys some sort of assistance, maybe to help themselves along the way by doing this?
0: Yeah, that it's just more relatable. I trained a lot of females over the years, and so I really, yeah, you really trained part Kara, but
1: she got great results from me. I must say, like it, that did change her. You know what? What I noticed more with her, it wasn't necessarily her physical abilities didn't really change. Yes, she got a lot stronger. But it was her mindset change, yeah. and that was the big thing I noticed with her. She was, had that accountability. There was somebody there, and it was an accountability thing. And so I, I could see how that works. And is that something similar that you're doing with the guys online? or? So basically,
0: I now have um, tailored packages um, to help guys lose weight, scale their energy, and just perform better all, mm-hmm. all around. Um, I've got like, uh, closed group support, one-on-one support for myself, mm-hmm. Um and whole products digital online I can hold my hands up and say I pretty much have one of the best online products out Mm -hmm. there. You know, i've worked very hard getting it to where it's. I can
1: I can testify to how hard I know you have worked because literally coming in out of the gym and you're sitting there, literally just like steam coming off you, working so damn hard on this. And I know that isn't what people see. Um, and then when you come home, work doesn't stop. Then you're still working
0: effectively. Like I've got two businesses. Yeah, it's all
1: under one umbrella. Mm-hmm. But
0: like this new online business, the platform that I use now, it didn't even exist three years ago. No, you no. Know? So I'm running like uh, Facebook ads and working with uh, you know, some copywriters, um, ads managers, business mentors, and mm-hmm. uh, to get this the way I want. I want to go global with it. I want to scale it. I want to have people working under me and I want to be able to like help other coaches as
1: well, mm-hmm. you know. So. The coaching mentor inside of fitness now is becoming really, really big and it's becoming from guys like you. Um, um, uh, what you call your fellow from Lisburn, who used to have the rock pit? What do you call that guy? Uh, Phil Graham. Phil Graham. Similar, Paul Murray's moving out into that aspect as well. Um, So we're you're seeing that more and more. Well, it's
0: the same as this. It's like, here's another thing about the fitness industry. I heard Arnold Schwarzenegger was on Graham Norton show mm-hmm. with Jake Gyllenhaal a couple of years back when Jake Gyllenhaal uh he done this film about a boxer, can't remember Southpaw. Southpaw film's called Incredible Shape. Right. And um Arnie was complimenting the condition that he'd got into. And Graham Norton said to him, um, you know, like back in the, the 70s and 80s, you you know, you travel around the world to train. And Arnold said to him, I had the train. Now there's g- I had to travel the train, now there's a gym in every corner. And then it hit me i went this whole fitness thing is so new mm-hmm. i've always been in it always been going to the gym from I was, I was in centaur i think when i was like 15 yeah yeah and then um over we fitness first in collinswater then in the mma gyms and the boxing gyms i've always been in it mm-hmm. but then that's whenever the penny dropped me and i went right this is new and i actually grew up with um he's now the nutritionist for liverpool football club he's mm-hmm. from belfast and I thought about time idea. they go down that route of professional athletes. they go down the route of strength and conditioning. Remy Adams is doing very well right fantastic. There. Actually, I'd love to
1: get Remy on the show. So, Remy if I you listening like,
0: to this. Uh, this. uh no, I enjoy working with the general public. Weight loss is where it's at, mm-hmm. you know. So, I went back to school. I started studying nutrition. Um, worked very hard at that. And then... um. I'm off on a tangent.
1: No, no, you're not actually, you're just saying about this is how, that this is helping people and this is now your online oh, yeah, sphere. Sorry, so yeah, yeah, so, so, so the, that, that's, you're actually on to- 100% on track yeah, there.
0: So, yeah, so what I'm saying now is the reason that there's so many um, coaches now getting into mentorship mm-hmm. is because they've excelled at what they do in an industry. And they're something re- back. Relatively new. The industry is unregulated. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys that say the cream will always rise to the, the top. Mm-hmm. Um and if same as MMA if you're good at something somebody's going to pay you to teach them how to do it that's yeah. it
1: and the good thing about what you said there is that you went back to school to work on nutrition because one of my fucking pet hits in life is somebody going to a, a three week PT I'm not denigrating because there's some brilliant guys and girls out there with great experience and then going I'm oh, a PT give me a dad I'm like my, my initial face yeah. tells the story by going why why you're not that guy or girl isn't a nutritionalist they don't know really what tests have they performed. But how do they know how many calories you should be eating a day? What is your activity level? How do they test your activity level? But I know you do all this. And this is why I'm able to say with confidence what you're telling me is 100% fact and 100% true. And I know how hard you've worked and I know how much you've spent. But it's other things that people don't say about how much time you have to invest in yourself, money you need to invest all these other things to get to the level that you're at now, and I believe your level's going to get a lot higher now.
0: I'll never send like you're talking about ment- mentorships, but like you, you know, you have to invest your, your, your finance, your time, and your effort in, in where you need to go. So like, see, effectively, I haven't spent tens of thousands in pounds. I'm PT, and I'm now in my fifth year. I've mm-hmm. excelled quite. Quickly. You went very very fast actually. The first couple of years, I was still trying to like find my way coming out of where I was. The last three years, it's, it's moved quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. But again, I've actively seeked out who's the best at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've spent a lot of money on um just self development courses. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been yeah. like across the water down to Dublin repeatedly. Um, that- spent time with like you said some some guys in the fitness industry. I've got a guy who, you know, plays a, a massive role in my development. A minute, who's in mm-hmm. the fitness industry. Um, like I wouldn't be where I am without helping the support of him over the years and I mm-hmm. said to him recently like it's like you know we're friends now as well we were actually friends before his mm-hmm. business got to where it is now but like without him I wouldn't be where yeah. I was you know? but it's
1: good to have somebody like that and something to aim at and that's why it co- takes back the actually training you know when you first go to any gym any combat sports gym there's always somebody that you're going to look up to yeah. And you want to get to that level. And then sooner or later, six, eight, ten 10 months down the line, two years down the line, you realize that you're friends and there's people looking up to you. That's yeah, that yeah. way with you no, right now in work. the fitness yeah. industry.
0: Yeah. Well, I've noticed that as well. And, you know, I'm helping some guys out mm-hmm. sort of capacity. Um, yeah. You know, everybody's we'll all get there. Like, yeah, but people I mean.
1: just, you get there in a different way. And I mean, I think you found your way in probably one of the most interesting ways known in, in the industry, because a lot of people will just see Dan Abro PT. I don't know, Dan Abraul Fighter. I've
0: done from day one is this I've never claimed to be perfect. So there's a lot of, if you go back to my early social media, it's probably a bit embarrassing to go back and read it now. It's like, never put my problems on social media, mm-hmm. but I never claimed that I knew the answers to everything. Yeah. You know, if I didn't know the answer, I'll tell you straight, I'll find a site, but you need to work with me. You mm-hmm. know, I, um. now obviously my knowledge is greater than what I needed to be mm-hmm. to do the job that I do. But um, I think there's a, the thing with fitness in general, because this whole physique thing exploded makes over me want the last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not anything
1: to do but with that's health. That's
0: people, like, generally, if you say fitness to somebody who's the 30 now, they think it's, like, shredded. Yeah, or some Instagram model. Abs, yeah. Instagram, yeah, exactly. But that's um, not fitness. It's, like,
1: it's not fitness. You know, to me, that's yeah. not fitness. That is somebody who is basically lost a great deal of weight because I've had to work hard and I admire their ambition I admire their drive and their dedication but that's not what the whenever I first started in the fitness industry you look for a job under health and fitness yeah. see now that's not the health, health. because come we said
0: though, the industry is new it's unregulated you know it doesn't take much to get a qualification to be a coach no.
1: but it's your experience that
0: carries you through yeah. and, this, and how much you're willing to invest in your Celtics mm-hmm. the level up your skill set in order to be able to level up's to a good topic.
1: terminology and then that's what I think that a lot of people are missing they're not leveling up they've got this they've got the qualification it's great that's it I'm there now because I have a six pack and there's a say look you can prove it I've got a six pack on Instagram I'm going to get people to come along and they're going to pay me 50 quid a month or 50 quid a, a session to do the, whatever we're going to do that's not the case. Look, I think it's this. Like, if you can do something better than somebody and you can help that person out, mm-hmm. then certainly
0: you can do it. It's just the spectrum is so broad. It's vast not. But all it takes, is, like, generally, personal trainers in general, maybe it's starting to shift a bit now, but mm-hmm. in general, over the last lot of years, personal trainers in general have had a bad reputation. They do. Un-
1: I think unfairly But some people. Exactly. You know, but fairly with others.
0: It, it will get to the point where the industry will be regulated over the next lot of years. Do you
1: remember reps? Yeah, yeah, do. Uh, and that was an attempt at regulation. I think Reps is gone now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, but not, that was an attempt at regulation. I can, I can see an organization not existing again, mm. but it'll just be down to finance. Yeah. But, look, like, I mean, as I said, we're, we're just touching the R mark now. Um, what I want to let anybody out there know is to where they can where can people find you if somebody wants to go and train with Dan Abrol or somebody wants to go and meet Dan Abrol or, or go and work with you on a nutritional aspect or fitness aspect or health and fitness or whatever it is how do they get in contact with you
0: uh, Facebook's the best way so what's
1: your Facebook Daniel
0: Abrol Fitness and then like I said for those those guys in 30s and 40s looking to scale up their energy and just get a nutrition plan training program that fits into their lifestyle that they can integrate their fitness along with other, the un, other areas of life. Um, i got a closed Facebook group there called body, uh, Elite Body Coaching. Mm-hmm.
1: So you can feel free to add, add me on there as well. So it's Elite Body Coaching. Correct. And then Dan Abraal Fitness on yeah. Facebook. Do you have Instagram?
0: Yeah, uh, Instagram, I don't use it just as much now. It's Diet with Dan.
1: That with Dan on Instagram, and you have now an online space. Do uh when you're online space, you're online coaching. Do people just contact you through Facebook to get onto that, or is there a specific email address or a website?
0: No, that's all of the um the the
1: body, the elite uh, body coaching. Right, so it's all Facebook posts. It's elite body coaching on Facebook. So, folks, look, um, please, if you're looking to um increase your health in any way whatsoever you're going to try and drop some weight gain some weight build muscle um get shredded for the summer but put on some belt please contact this guy i can give you personal testimony of the, how good a human being a he is and b as i've said right at the start of the show and i've said it continuously through this he is at the pinnacle of the tree in irish um uh, fitness coaching and also in personal training a uh, great accountability really really good guy to deal with and a very very personable individual um Dan, we're gonna, we're, as I say, we're at the hour mark, so we're, we're, we're just basically polishing off the show. Is there anybody you would like to give a shout out to, or anybody you'd like to say hello to on the podcast?
0: Um, no, I'd suppose to take the opportunity to thank anybody that's helped and support me over the last lot of years to get to where I'm at. Um, anybody that's had an impact in my life, they know who <laughs> they are. Um, so yeah, thanks for the support.
1: Um before we close i like asking people some weird sometimes some strange things um so phil always asks the question where how would you like to be remembered when you when you've retired from from the fitness industry how would you like people to remember you it's helpful
0: it's like i don't think there's anything more meaningful in life to be able to help solve problems for others and where i'm at now like looking back over my journey. um, You know, I want to scale my business to a level where, you know, I can make an impact and help a lot of people um, in the capacity of the coaching program but also within the employment side of things as well and I want to get it to the point where I can then write a book about my success Mm -hmm. because it's my own personal experience that's allowed me to get into a position and overcoming those great challenges have helped me shape myself and work hard at myself to get to a level of success in order to be able to talk about that and help people. So like, you know, I want to write a book and be able to, that makes an impact. Like
1: certainly the young men in Belfast, mm-hmm.
0: you know, but i am still a wee bit. A wee no, it's a noble,
1: it's a very noble quest. and one that's not in any way that we don't need. Northern Ireland could do with an awful lot more people who want to go out and more or less help others around being very, very selfish. So last two questions I'm going to ask you. Favorite film. Oh, true romance. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm shocked at that. Last you know book it's you... not a romantic film.
0: <laughs> no, it's balls, I just yeah, didn't like class, it. It's class, man.
1: Um, last book you read? Uh, outwitting the
0: Devil, Napoleon Hill. Perfect.
1: Um, Okay, so again, and that's another, um, you and I, we discuss books all the time about what, what we were reading, what we have read, what we're going to read next. I've just bought that on Audible, so I'm, I'm, I'm taking your recommendation that this is going to be good. Um, So it's Outwitting the Devil then. And, that's the last book you've read. Favorite films, True Romance. Folks, this has been not another fight cast and we have been incredibly lucky this week to have as again, it's partially self does at my point because Dan's a personal friend of mine. Somebody I've known for nearly two decades now which makes, makes us both sound really fucking old. Only um, <laughs> I <mean>, 35, <laughs> Yeah. It makes me sound really old <laughs> now. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to have done the show. So let, look, folks, if you can if you are looking to get into some fantastic physical shape, improve your health, energy levels, sleep patterns, whatever, please get in contact with Dan through his Facebook pages and also on onto his Instagram. Um, also, uh, be remiss of me not to say to go and listen to our back catalogue of episodes. Please give us a like, subscribe, and also, if you have time, I know everybody's a busy, busy life, and I, I talk to a lot of people who listen to the podcast on buses, on trains, or whatever it is. Flick yourself over to itunes and leave us a review if you can if you think we're shit tell us why we're shit at least if you don't please leave us a five-star review and help us climb that podcast ladder together hopefully my co-host mr campbell will be back very soon um uh, when he's finished jet selling and now we have been not another fight cast and i am andy the icon burrows and this week we have been with mr dan abra thank you very much dan and it was great to have you on the show